Welcome to the Valerie King Show. I am your host, Valerie King, and I believe that great stories can come from anywhere. And over my time in building business and serving in the community, I come across incredible people. And I promise you, they are everywhere. Probably the person you're sitting next to has a major story that you might want to ask them about, even though they don't even know it yet. My guest today, I am excited to share with you because he wears more hats than just about anybody I think I may have met. He's got his fingers in a lot of pots, let's put it that way. And he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. And so I'm excited to hear what he has to share because he has some perspectives on a lot of different things that I think might surprise you. I think we're about all we're, we're all about to learn something that we didn't know before today. Can't wait. So I would love to introduce you, my guest, Chris Billy. How are you today, sir? Good, good, good. Thank you for having me, Valerie. I really appreciate it. So I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little intrigued with with how we're going to unroll and unpack some of this stuff. So for sure. So thanks. For so having am me. I, because you have so much. <laughs> You're like a Rubik's cube. You've got all these things going on, and there might be a hidden door in there that nobody knows about because you, you just. I don't know if your brain ever stops. Do, does it rest? <laughs> you, do you sleep at night, or do you just keep going? Um, sometimes. Yeah, I know it. I wake up in the middle of the night and I've got, oh my God, I've got to get these things done. And then it's like, I've got to get sleep. I've got to get rested. But yeah, no, it's my mind is always going. It's more like a train wreck than a Rubik's Cube. So all these little, you know, intertwining things that I've got to unpack the next day. So yeah, no, no, no. I, that's just how I am. That, that makes me feel normal. You know, I've got to have my hand in a lot of different pots. See, and that is in itself kind of cool that that is your normal to have that because some people are like, my normal is Netflix on the couch. You know, there are, I think that's probably the majority of people. And so I'm very intrigued by what we're about to talk about today because I feel like for people who are high achievers, which is what I would consider you to be, you just, you just keep going and you keep going and you, you're building and you're creating and you're tweaking and you're looking for the next thing. And it's just, perpetual good like I just feel like you just you just throw yourself into the world and you're trying to impact as many lives as you possibly can in the best way and you just don't stop so let's talk about first let's talk about first so what kind of businesses are you doing right now what is it that keeps you busy give us a little tidbit and then let's go from there so there's there's three primary businesses that we have. Uh, there's our photography studio, which is Largo Photography. We have our photo booth company, which is a social station. And then there's my real estate business where I'm a licensed realtor and I work primarily with Ed 184 uh, Indian Home Loan Program. So I'm helping families uh, to become homeowners. See, that's incredible. Okay, well, let's start with the, we're definitely gonna spend some time in that, over in that pot. But first, <laughs> let's talk about the photography that you and your wife, Tammy, run together. You have done my headshots before. It was a fantastic experience. One of the best pictures I have of myself that you guys well, did for me, and I'm so grateful. Thank you. Oh, yeah, and I've, I've seen your work. You've done work for high school teams. You've done weddings. You do, I mean, is there anything you don't do specifically um, that you're like, this, yeah. is, this is something that other people can handle. Yeah, so so we have. So our, well, I've got to kind of rewind quite a bit. So 
Perfect. When I left the military, I was in the Navy for six years and I left the military, went, went to college. And uh, when I was in college, I was actually in affordable housing, right? Because I worked quite a bit with my home tribe up on Navajo and I, and I loved the work that we were doing. Um, but we kind of saw the writing on the wall and this is like 2003, 2004. And my wife had actually been working in the photography industry, right? So she was working for a modeling agency at the time where they would go in and they would do headshots and, you know, they would help actors and so forth, kind of launch your career through photos. And as our industry started to die down in the affordable housing realm and, and you know, the, the real estate industry, uh, my wife, uh, actually, she, you know, we had our first son. So she was on maternity leave. And while she was on maternity leave from the agency, you know, she was fired. So they, they you know, they terminated her. Uh, and so at that time, we we're like, well, what are we going to do? So we decided to, you know, run with her business, which was really photography. And we said, you know, how hard is it? You know, let's let's go out and let's shoot some weddings. And uh, it turned out to be a lot harder than we thought it was. Uh, we kind of dug in deep and man, we, we just learned as much as we could. We pulled everything we could from the internet at that time, uh, you know, reading books, talking to people. Uh, and what we learned was that industry, uh, there are a lot of very helpful people in that industry. So uh, when my wife and I got married, we hired a wedding photographer and we became very good friends with him, uh, David DeDios out of, out of Phoenix. And he kind of took us under his wing and said, hey, this is how you do things, right? And so he was uh, kind of our, our mentor to, to help us start out. And, and from that point, it, it just took off. My wife has an amazing eye. You know, she's very artistic. I, I'm very artistic as well. Um, I, love, I love to paint. I love to draw. You know, we had an eye for composition. And so when we kind of both joined forces, uh, you know, as, as my career was kind of waning because of the industry and hers was picking up, uh, we just kind of came together and, and we started our photography business and it took. So from year one to year two, we doubled our income and then from the same thing from year two to year three we doubled again and then from year three to year four you know we, we didn't double but we made quite a bit more um, and so we were able from that from that point to kind of really start steamrolling with with our business and so we were in weddings uh, and then we we transitioned to I shouldn't say we transitioned we picked up portraits right and so we we really kind of dug into high school senior portraits and, and we shot them the same way that we were shoot our weddings right we were going very photojournalistic we were having conversations with our clients you know we kind of got away from the posy posy you know there's a tree um you know let, let's let's make these very um you know textbook type of portraits and we shot very loose uh and it, it just took off man a, a lot of folks really took notice and we were one of the first few photographers who started to really utilize social media and this is when uh you know myspace was just coming onto the scene and so we were really pushing myspace we were trying to be where the, where the teens were and you know it exploded we, we were overwhelmed i think that first year we probably shot about 40 to 50 seniors but you know we had to start figuring out the business side of it you know we, we understood the photography side but we didn't understand the number side right uh you know what do our what's our business model look like you know what are what's our cost of goods sold you know what, what's our time invested all of these other things we had to start learning i mean we learned we brought photography and then we tried to figure everything out and we tripped we made a lot of mistakes in the beginning uh and, and we kind of just started to whittle away at things uh and over the over the course of our business we started to figure out hey man this is this is too much for us you know the weddings like i love weddings i love the emotion we, i love the clientele but it's too much for us right 
Um, so we eventually started to get away from weddings and, and more into portraiture. Um, and, you know, and of course, as, as we were doing portraits, we had more and more commercial clients that were coming to us saying, hey, um, I saw what you did with your portraits. Can you do that for my business? Can you do that for our corporation or organization or whatever that is? Uh, and so from there, we started to migrate towards um, um, commercial photography. And that's kind of where we're really kind of digging in right now. We're, we're doing more sports type of photography, which is kind of a commercial-based shoot, uh, and then and then a lot more commercial. We still do um, portraits, we still do uh, weddings, but very, very rare do we pick up weddings. We're typically for our, our legacy clients, somebody who we've shot, you know, maybe the babies, and we've shot their senior portraits, you know, these folks who we've, we've had this long history of business with. Um, other than that, we typically won't take on any, any new wedding clients. But yeah, so that's, that's kind of the synopsis of, of Largo Photography, and, and we're ending up primarily in commercial photography and, and uh, school uh, sports photography. Hey Chris, I feel like I feel like you're getting farther away from your microphone a little bit. You got you got louder right there, but kind of out just a little bit. Just wanted to like, yes, that's much better. A little better, much much better. Yeah, yeah, that's a little better. Okay, so whatever it takes, I need to hear. I I think like I can see the pictures in my mind, the things that you guys do. It is. I, I didn't know that you that you like were kind of the pioneer in that vein because that was that became like an entire photography genre that you guys kind of started there on that trend where it was less less posy, less stilted, fake smiles, and just having a real conversation and then showing that conversation through photography and and it absolutely tilted the entire industry on its head. And I didn't know that you guys were that far in it. I didn't know that you'd been like way back then in like MySpace time. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, well, I can totally see there it because you guys kill it. Yeah, there were other photographers who were, who were doing it as well, right? Um, but it, it wasn't as prevalent. Uh, and so yeah. when we when yeah. we came into the whole MySpace thing, that that's when it really took off. Um, so we were shooting at a national level um, for senior portraits. I mean, so we had people who were hiring us and flying us out to like Ventura, California down in Texas. We had people who were actually flying in, you know, to shoot with us. We were up in Colorado um, and we actually were speaking uh, at a national state on a national stage to senior portrait photographers on, on how to shoot, how to do what we were doing. Um, so, yeah, th that was kind of the realm where we where we built our name and, and uh, you know, really gained traction. So what made what I have an idea, but you tell me, where did the big idea to start a photo booth company come from? Because those those were like a those were a big deal back when. Yeah, how did so that, how did we, you see that and you're like, oh, we can do that better. What happened? Yeah, yeah. Well, so actually, <laughs> my wife and uh, she had a business partner at the time. Um, they, you know, we, we saw photo booths and they were just, you know, the, the whole, you got to get in the box, you got to pile in. Um, we figured, you know, you know, why don't we do them open booth? Why don't we just set up a camera and, and you know, and, and shoot? Uh, so when we were shooting some of the weddings, we would have a little station where somebody would sit there and take pictures. Uh, and they would do it in a way where they would capture the natural moments and, and they came out really fun, right? And so we went to a photography conference and my wife and her, her then business partner uh, went out and found a photo booth that 
was was brand new, right? So it's kind of the, the trending technology, the open air photo booths uh, back around 2010 ish. Uh, and so, you know, she started to you know take a look at this. Hey, we can do this. We can have we can hire somebody else. You know, instead of having that person who's there, you know, pushing the button, maybe we can we can do a standalone photo booth, and we, you know we can add it on as a package and really my wife went out and, and they made the decision to, to purchase the business and we brought it in and, and really marketed it to the clients because we had already built a, a fairly substantial client base in the wedding industry. So it wasn't hard for us to plug it in and, and to get business that way. Uh, and, and we really just realized that it's a completely separate business from our, our uh, photography studio, right? Cause this is something that we can hire. We don't have to do, we shoot those events, you know, to, to send it business. We hired an attendant. It, it became a, you know, just a, a hundred percent, you know, purely business, uh, you know, autonomous thing that can run on its own. So we had a manager and we set that up and and it took off again. So we were shooting uh, quite a few events a year. um, And, and we also, my wife and I being native American, you know, there, there are very, very few native Americans, uh, professional photographers or food with companies, but there are lots of businesses, lots of larger organizations. So we started to take and, and kind of leverage that a little bit. So we started heading to the casinos. We started heading to the tribes saying, Hey, this is what we've got. You guys have lots of events going on. You know, can we plug into this? Uh, and again, it turned into another huge revenue stream for us. And so we were able to, to kind of plug it in. And, and again, it's, it's its own beast. So, uh, it, it runs on its own and it took off. I'll bet they were so excited to have you too. Yeah, it was, it's a, it was a great business venture. It's still running. Um, COVID has had a huge impact on both the photography and the photo booth companies. So unfortunately that, you know, that's, it's starting to get moving again, but in order to do photography, you've got to be you know, <laughs> interacting Somewhat with somebody who's not far from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and with the photo booth company, yeah, go ahead. With Matt. I was just going to say, you can have like the entire, this, the whole time. How sad. It's so sad. It is. Uh, but, you know, as, as the restrictions are lifting, we're starting to see that, that kind of the business come back a little bit. Tammy's closed out her, her first her first couple of contracts for the year, uh, since COVID started anyway. Uh, so we're, we're kind of getting moving again. A little more steam that we need to get building and moving again. Man, oh, I'm praying for you guys. So. Thanks. So. Moving into, so where you're at now with with real estate is just a natural progression because you started, before you even started photography, mm-hmm. you were already doing affordable housing for the Navajo yep. Nation, which is where you kind of, you grew up on, up in Fruitland yep. area. And yep. the funny thing is that my, well, my, my producer lives near Fruitland, Idaho, but you were in Fruitland, Colorado, no, New Mexico. New, New Mexico, yeah. Near Farmington, which I've been to before, just so you know, I lived in Albuquerque for a while, so I've been there. I've yeah. been over that way. It makes me proud. It makes me proud. Anyway, but but you started. I mean, you're you're Native American, both you and Tammy. And one of the things I love about you the most is the way that you advocate for the Navajo. I think it is incredible. Can you speak to that a little bit? You spoke a little bit about um, um, what you were doing before and, and you moved into photography. So what you were doing before and what you're doing now in real estate, let's dive in there just a little bit. Teach us what's sure. going on there. So that one, that one goes back uh, quite a bit further. Um, so I, I grew up on the Navajo Reservation. Uh, my grandparents raised me, and you know, my in my home we didn't speak English, right? It was Navajo. Um, so 
growing up, I grew up with a lot of Navajo values. I grew up with a lot of Navajo culture. Um, you know, everything that I saw as traditional was a stark contrast to, to you know, mainstream America. Uh, so Wait, growing up right there. Give us, give us a, yeah. give us a couple of, uh, of examples of what that stark trend, what, what, what was stark about the Navajo tradition and America? So let's start there because so I'm sure that people would love to know that. Sure. Um, so, like, well, let's, let's talk tradition a little bit, culture. We, we have a lot of very tight knit. Uh, communities, right? Family, our family structure tends to be different. So in, in Navajo, there's really no translation for the word cousin. Okay, there, there's no word for, you know, distant relative, everybody's thought of as brothers and sisters, like the literal translation for an aunt is is my little mother, right? So that so that so, you know, when we look at a nuclear family, nuclear American family, there's aunts, cousins, uncles, you know, second removed cousins, and, and so on and so forth. And so there's different branches. When we look at like a Navajo family, it, it's very tight it, right so when I was when I was going to school in, in elementary school uh, my teacher had asked me who, who was a non who was non Navajo she said how many brothers and sisters do you have and I you know thinking of my cousins because at that time I, I didn't know any better I said oh I've got about 30 cousins or 30 brothers and sisters and they're like oh my god no that's not right you know but I didn't know anything else I, I couldn't figure out what she was asking you know but our, our familial uh, structures are, are very tight-knit and and with that being said that also kind of lends to to some issues and problems right so we talk about housing so you know, there are times when in maybe in a one bedroom house or two or three other families who are living, you know, in that house, you know, but it's, it's totally comfortable for everybody who is there because of our familial structures. Um, even though resources were fairly scarce, you know, running water, uh, operating uh, restrooms, you know, um, you know, even even just access to electricity. Uh, I can tell you that my my cousins grew up, you know, some of them grew up in, in, a, in a small home where there were two or three families. Sometimes there'd be 12 or 15 people living in this very small home where they had to drive to get their water, right? Or they didn't have electricity at night. They would run kerosene lamps, right? Or, or sometimes there wouldn't be enough food to eat. And this is just this is just normal. This is just what we were we were we accepted, right? Um, a lot of us we we lived on small farms. We we grew our own crops. Um, you know, with my my grandparents who I lived with, uh, you know, it's myself and of course my grandma, my grandpa, uh, we lived on a small farm. It's a little three to four acre farm and we had family who lived up in the mountains, right? So we would spend all the year growing all these crops and then towards, you know, our harvest season, we would trade with our, our relatives in the, in the mountains. You know, they would bring down sheep and wood and they would take back corn and, and watermelon and produce and, you know, uh, and, you know, and that was normal for us. That's just how things were. You know, we didn't have to make a lot of money in order to, to, to have sustenance and to have, a, a, you know, a good, a good life, so to speak. Um, but, you know, that's just a, a for instance, right? So, so there was a lot of, uh, of differences in my culture, my upbringing versus what I would see in, in, in mainstream America. I learned like eight new things right there. <laughs> and, so. I, and I was, no, for real though. And it's, and I think it's, I love that. I don't, I don't even know how to like phrase words around what's going around in my head. I'm trying to like piece it together. So it'll come out. But, um, to me, the coolest thing about that is the close knitness of the family and the way that you guys work together and the way that you share and that you're symbiotic that way to make sure that everybody has enough 
you know, to the best of your capability and and trying to help each other out every, every which way you can, whether it's living with each other and harvesting together or, you know, somebody's got the somebody's got the, the livestock and the other people have the crops and we'll just swap when the time is right and make it work. And yeah. um, I look at families yeah. like nuclear families in America today um, that don't even talk to each other that have yeah. they don't really have connection and things like that so to me i think um that tradition yeah, of I, the closeness yeah. close-knitness of families in the community uh is tremendous i think that's huge yeah yeah my, my grandparents are very were very special to me you know um you know as, as in most neville families our, our grand our grandparents our elders are very revered and we do the best we can to, to take care of them and typically if we see somebody in trouble then we do the best we can to help yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, having so so, you leave you left the the reservation. Uh, did you go straight to Arizona? You also were in the Navy. Where were you serving? I was in the Navy. Navy at? So so well. Let me. I'm going to back up here. So the whole right. reason you because we, we're kind of talk, we'll talk about real estate for a little bit. So I understood all of the issues that we were facing as a people, you know, uh, on Navajo, and I and I was very rooted in a lot of the the, the problems uh, and the challenges um, that we face on Navajo Reservation, right? And so when I was younger, now I was a teenager, uh, I, I wanted to get out, man, because it was something that I, I just I wanted to get away from, and so I joined the Navy. Uh, so I did six years in the Navy. I, I was a fire controlman, uh, so I got sent out to Chicago. Chicago um, and trained at the advanced electronics computer field uh, and then from there I went out to DC where I was stationed for another year where I had my uh, my C school which is you know kind of the training for my specialty uh, which was really radar and and missile defense and, and, and all that good stuff uh, so from there I was stationed in Norfolk for about four years and from there I did three deployments uh, the first deployment actually took was supposed to take us to the Middle East but we ended up getting derailed and, and we got into a, a combat zone out in uh, in Kosovo, which that is its whole other thing, uh, and we were there for the remainder of the deployment um, until you know that was resolved, and that that's a big <laughs> that was a big mess, uh, and then and then we returned to the U.S. right, and then I did two more deployments after that, and so I at that point I. Um, you know, I was honorably discharged. I did my time. I, you know, I served my country. And when I left there, uh, of course, I, I moved out to Arizona to kind of pick up on my education. And I really wanted to focus and get back um, to, to my people and, and doing things uh, for housing or development. And so I actually started in architecture when I was in school. And I realized pretty quickly that I didn't want to be an architect. I loved this, the design. I, I loved the work. Um, I just, I felt like I, I needed to be a little more bigger picture. And so I actually focused a little more on housing and development. And so if, from there, I ended up working with affordable housing group, started a center for uh, affordable homes in the family, which was out of Phoenix. And I stayed with them for a little more than a year and a half, uh, which I worked up on Navajo as well. Um, and I started doing small renovation projects, helping people find money to renovate their homes, working with the USDA, um, you know, and, and, and some other organizations, the Napa Housing Authority as well. Uh, and this is, you know, again, this is 2003, 2004, until I graduated from ASU with a degree in real estate development. But that happened, you know, simultaneously as the market crashed. So I was actually with a commercial development company out of Scottsdale um, for 
I don't know, uh, I think just shy of a year. And I was a low man on the totem pole, so they, you know, cut me pretty quick. Um, and from that, I actually moved into the photography business. And, and, you know, we just took off with that until until probably about six or seven years ago. Um, in, when we had our photography studio, we actually went after uh, tribal contracts, right? So we opened up a satellite studio. So at that time, we had about two um, retail locations: one here in Chandler, and then another one up in up in um, up in Bloomfield. And while I was up there, uh, we were going after school contracts, and I ran into uh, one of my childhood friends' mothers, right? And so she had invited me back out to my home community. She said, hey, we're having a community meeting. Why don't you come out, you know, and, and talk to the folks and tell them what you're doing and where you're from? Uh, because she really liked my story as well. She, she knew how I grew up and where I was coming from. She also knew the education that I had. Um, so they invited me back out and of course you know there's probably just shy of like 80 people from the community there plus our, our president and so on and so they introduce me and you know of course my my friend she takes the mic and she says you know chris has done all this he's got his education oh and by the way he's volunteered to help us with our community which was news to me um and so i said well okay you got me um I, i'm gonna volunteer and we'll we'll see what i can do uh, and so at that point, I was kind of enlisted into helping my home community. Uh, so, you know, we, we kind of got cracking at it. We, we took off kind of quick. And I really wanted to, to kind of look at the guts of, of what policies were, right, what we were doing as, as far as uh, land planning and some of those other things. And I really started to kind of put my education to use. And I quickly realized that we just didn't have the policy infrastructure or all of the things that would make a city or a county work, right? And, and so very quickly, I kind of, it's like walking into a spider web, right? You just kind of get it stuck. You're just like, you're just trying to figure it out and get it all off of you. Uh, it, it, you know, and it was a lot of untangling and, and trying to understand things because what I realized was in our local governance structures, right, on, on Navajo Reservation, we're made up of all these chapters, and each chapter is supposed to act like a county, okay? And, and on that board is, there's a president, vice president, and so on, and these folks are supposed to help the, the community grow, they're supposed to help meet community needs. But what happens more often than not is you have folks who really don't understand the, the job. They, they want to make a difference. They have huge hearts and, and they go in 100%, but then they're hit with, you know, legislation and regulations and, and all of these things they have to abide by and they have no idea what to do. And a lot of these folks are, they're farmers, they're teachers, you know, they're construction workers and, and they, they walk into these positions and it's just like, boom, they just get hit and they're like, how do we, how do we help these people? And so I came in with the idea that, hey, we need to, you know, put together a land use plan. Um, let's look at some projects. Let's look at how we can acquire land, how we can acquire funds and money and make these projects work. And so we really kind of started moving at the, moving very quickly at, at those ideas, uh, you know, and, and very quickly I was darting into the upper echelons of our Navajo Nation government trying to figure out why we can't do this. And then more, we started to uncover more and more problems, you know, um, each. Like what? Like get, get specific. Get specific specific around the problems because then maybe sure we can find so, a way to help. So the 
the biggest issue is really it's it's intercommunication between each between each department, right? So each department, let's say we have a land department, and then we have the folks who run you know the electricity, the Navajo Tribal Utility Authority. They don't really talk to each other, right? Uh, that one person may have a set of maps that the other person needs, but they're not going to share it. And us from the local governance standpoint, we need these guys all to be talking to each other, and we can't. Most of the time, we have to go to 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 to, to Department A, and then trying to get them to give us permission and then once we get permission then we got to go to department b and say hey look we've got permission well well that doesn't match with our regulations you need to go back so all of a sudden you know we've got this duality that is really kind of sabotaging any try to any type of progress that we're trying to make uh, or there may be regulations there may be you know like if we're looking at a piece of land that land is regulated by the bureau of indian affairs it's regulated by the navajo nation it's also got grazing rights on it it's also got a home site lease on it and so we've got to get permission from all of these folks the you know in order to to build a maybe a dirt road or to put water or, or powers you know right across the, their property um you know an, an eminent domain which we could use at the city doesn't work as effectively on the reservation so it causes all sorts of issues right um and, and this is just kind of one for instance there's a lot of other other little uh, uh issues that we're facing you know like the lack of of um qualified professionals who are in these positions to make these things work right so mm -hmm. for instance if we were to hire a, a city planner we're probably looking at paying 60 to one hundred twenty thousand dollars, you know to have somebody in house to do all these things while the the tribe or that local governance only has a thirty-five thousand dollar budget to hire somebody to do that same amount of work right and that's that's it's just not enough that's that's barely a living wage for some of these folks so they're not able to bring in those professionals and so i myself being a volunteer uh, i understand the workload and i'm sitting here trying to figure out how can we get these guys how can we get money you know to, to hire some of these folks that you need to come in uh so you know there's 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 a lack of political policy infrastructure there's a lack of funds there's a lack of you know pro the professional folks that that we need to, to to run these you know and then and then we need somebody spearheading and, and constantly moving at this so it's like by the time those those four elected officials who are in charge of the local governance figure it out guess what it's election time now you know there's a pretty good chance that they're going to be going out the door once they finally figure it out you know those their the president is now up for re-election and she may lose you know and so they they lose and a new president comes in and guess what the whole process has got to get started again <laughs> and it's difficult right and so uh, i i did that for six years um so i, I served under uh, uh two different presidents and I, i'll tell you I, I got burnt out um constantly trying to get things moving trying to convince folks you know going to the community trying to get them to convince or trying to convince the community to, to buy in on, on projects um you know i mean i i facilitated a deal where we got four thousand acres from a navajo enterprise and we were able to use that for development i was able to get a 40 acre cemetery started right we, we got it through we got it allotted we got the surveys in it belongs to the community now and you know i i, I left it and said hey guys this is yours you can run with it you can you know i've built the business plan for you you've got everything else just all you got to do is just start calling and hiring people and it stalled you know people didn't have the people to keep pushing it uh, i unfortunately couldn't couldn't finish it i, I had a lot on my plate um but you know it's it's things like this it's a slippery slope we want progress but it, it's difficult right you've got to have you got to have the capital to bring in the right people who are who are going to see these things through so um so yeah so that's it so where does it stand now <laughs> like just kind of stalemate um, so, 
It is right now. It is, uh, and I've actually, I've tried to go back up there, and I'm, I'm slowly talking to those some of those folks up there, like, hey, what's going on? You know, is this is this happening? It's like, well, it's election year right now, so everything's just been put on hold until we can figure out what happens next. If our president's still here, then then we'll pick up where we left off. And you know, I, I hate I hated leaving that where it was, but I was so overwhelmed that I, I had to get some of those things off my plate because one, one of the other things that I do. So I have served on a nonprofit board, you know, being in the business arena. Uh, I understood what, you know, natives were facing as far as getting access to capital and the issues that we face in the reservation, right? Um, the, you know, whenever you get a loan, they want collateral or, you know, like if you try, let's, let's use housing, for example. If you want to buy a house on the reservation, um, getting a loan, you know, let's say a conventional loan, it is extremely, extremely difficult, right? Because you don't own the land. The land is held in trust by the federal government, right? So typically the, the banks want to be able to mortgage that land, but because they can't own it, they're not going to get it right and they've got to they've got to go fight the federal government if they want to obtain you know rights to that land which is it's not going to happen um so getting financing or funding many times just just doesn't work and it works the same with with business finance as well uh there aren't a lot of banks on the reservation so there are a few folks who stepped up you know nonprofit banks uh like native capital access who i sat on their board for a few years and of course they would review all of these these um these businesses you know on a case-by-case basis to try and create access to capital for you know uh fledgling native american businesses um anyway and that was and that was a great business and they're still running and they're still doing that whole thing um but that was one of the boards that i served on and and shortly after that i also served on the board for the American Indian Chamber of Commerce for the state of Arizona, where I came on as a board member. And then I was a president for about two years, which I actually just stepped down from here about four months ago, four or five months ago. Uh, and that was overwhelming as well, um, trying to handle everything, especially with the, with the coronavirus and the pandemic and, and all the things that were happening. So, but I, we actually brought on a very strong team before I, was, before I stepped down and we got them moving and I, I handed the baton off to, to my predecessor there. Uh, and now he's, he's moving and running with that organization at, at light speed. So um, yeah. Oh my goodness! So, how do we duplicate you? Is what I'm wondering because it's it feels it sounds like it felt like a lot of a lot of polling, and I hope that over time a lot of younger people will see what it is that you're trying to accomplish and how you're trying to um, emit a little bit of change and and development and things like that. And my hope is that a lot of young people are watching what it is that you've been trying to do and maybe will follow in your footsteps and be able to to dive in there and, and carry the torch because that's a lot. That's a, it is. Like how a lot. I, I, I lost count of how many boards you sat on and how many times you were the president. But it can't be a one-man job. Yeah, if I could, if I had all the money in the world, I would be doing the community development work. That's, I mean, that's where my heart's at. I would love to be up there and and not have to worry about financing and funding. And you know, I would, you know, eat, live, sleep, you know, breathe community development up on Navajo. Um, but it, it's difficult, you know. Again, you know, the 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 pays a huge a huge issue, right? It's it's difficult to support a family on, on thirty five thousand dollars, right? To pay, to pay the mortgage, the the cars, the kids, food, all that stuff. So, um, but lots of people out there are doing it, you know. So, and there, uh, excuse me, let me let me rephrase it. There are lots of other professionals who are running at that 
that same issue, right? Uh, I do have some other friends who are planners. I got other friends who are, who are um, architects, and there are a lot of folks who are younger than me who are really starting to step into that arena, and you know they have the energy, they they're getting the educations, and and they are kind of running at it. But yeah, we we need a tidal wave. We need a heck of a lot more people moving at this thing to 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 get it to budge and and to start knocking down some of these issues. Okay, here's to the next generation of change. I mean, you guys are doing what you can, but I feel like it's going to be a next generation that kind of, I mean, I don't know anything, but in my brain is what I see happening. (laughs) Um, Gosh. So I'm just like, how, if you could ask anybody, if anybody were listening to this podcast or even the webcast today, what would you ask for from the outside would you ask for more education? Would you ask for, what would you ask for? Man, that's that's a really big question um, because there's a lot of things I think that need to happen at a, at a you know, almost at a fundamental level um, on the reservation. We, we do need more education. We need stronger education. We need more advocates. You know, uh, we need more advocates in Indian country. You know, if you can buy from, a, from you know, native artisans, that helps. You know, one of the, the huge things that we face on the reservation is, we, one, we don't have the infrastructure, right? And a lot of folks um, rely on tourism. You know, they, they rely on arts and crafts, you know, because, uh, you know, as a people, we're very skilled. You know, you can see these baskets behind a, behind me here, and, and folks put these together, you know, by hand, you know, and, it, they, and they spend a lot of time doing that. We've got rug weavers, we've got jewelry, jewelry makers, you know, all these folks who are, who are you know, at, at the micro level, who are individual businesses, you know, and my, my biggest thing is always to try and support native businesses, right? Um, because they're there isn't a lot on the reservation you know our our unemployment is over 40 percent and it's always been like that right um so our per cap is it was for years was below twelve thousand. you know um for a population and you know a lot of these folks are doing the best they can to survive with what they've got and a lot of times it goes back to to the to the arts to whether they're painters dancers you know storytellers you know jewelry makers or or, or craft makers you know if you see these folks you know support them you know, buy some of their products and, and help them out. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for, for sharing sure. your story. I mean, honestly, I knew this was going to be really good. This was really good. <laughs> I'm glad that you yeah, did. I didn't even realize. We, we, I just I talked for the whole time. I could, sit here, I could honestly talk for probably hours on all of these other intricate and complicated issues. Dude, I was banking on that because I knew I was about to have <laughs> cracked open because there's so much that I don't know. And that's why, I, I mean, half of the reason that I even have this is because I'm just curious and I just want to know what you yeah. know and how I can help everybody else know what you know because we all don't know. And so I'm glad that you shared today. I'm really grateful well, for you. I appreciate you having me. Oh, anytime. We might need to do a follow-up and maybe I'll get Tammy's side of the story too and see how that goes down because I'm sure that she's got a lot to say as well. She does, yeah. She absolutely does. I love her. Anyway, well, thank you so much. Um, I just... I can't, I can't thank you enough. The first time I ever met, well, when I met with Chris and his wife the first time and I got to listen about their photography business because I was, you know, learning more about what was, who they are, what they're all about. And I remember when we were shifting into a conversation that was geared more toward Chris and, and, and your, your, well, Chris, you're still here for your, what you were going to do, like your entire body 
turned into like this tiger on the couch and you like leaned in and you were like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. And your eyes were like on fire. <laughs> and I think I said to you, I'm like, hey, you need to switch careers ASAP because yeah. I'm just like, I'm like, look at you right now sitting there. I'm like, you're on fire with this thing. And it was all about advocating and working on the, on the affordable housing and all of these things. And this was years ago. This was like five years ago. And look at what yeah. you're doing now. Well, look what you have done. Look what's happening. Yeah. And you're alive. You didn't die. You, <laughs> you're changing the world a little bit. You almost died probably from lack of sleep. But still, look at you now. I'm so proud of you for, I mean, well, just you. laying out everything that you've done in the past since we had that conversation. Listen to that. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, you knew, I knew it was coming because your, your entire physical countenance was just like, exuding what it was that you could see what you could do and the power that you had to try and instigate some change there so i'm so proud of you for doing that good job man thank you thank you and thanks so much to our listeners and our viewers today for chiming in we appreciate you as well and i hope you have a great great day and we'll see you next time